welcome to Life Lessons in 35mm, a podcast that delves into the life lessons from the silver screen. School might have taught us about history, sciences and maths, but John McLean taught us about how to be cool. Neo taught us the value of free will and the responsibility in making our own choices. Back to the Future taught us our future hasn't been written yet. Our future is whatever we make it. And Pretty Woman taught us that you should never judge a book by its cover. We'll talk about all sorts. Love, family, heroes. Storytelling, friendship, dogs. <laughs> Wait, dogs? Yeah, yeah. There's an episode about dogs. I figured that people sometimes might want something a little more light-hearted. And besides, who doesn't love dogs, right? No, that's fair. So, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, thanks for joining us. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Life Lessons in 35mm podcast with Nicholas Long. How are you doing, Nick? All right, I'm, I'm good. Thanks, Andrew. Nice and uh, early Saturday morning. Well, I say early Saturday morning here. So loving life. How about you? Are you okay? Yeah, very good. Um, all my flatmates have gone out for a party tonight, so I'm I'm podcasting. So um, when they were saying, ah, oh, do you want to go out and get drunk? And I'm like, no, let's talk about films with Nick. <laughs> living the dream. Living the dream. Yeah. That's, what, that's, that's the way it should be. Yeah, you can tell I'm 36, eh? Yeah, yeah. Are you are you like the oldest one in the flat? Yeah, I mean, by, by a substantial margin. <laughs> the father figure, if you will. Really not, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so um, today we're going to be talking about a film that's very, very special in Nick's heart, which is a film called Garden State. We are. So yeah, I, I mean, yeah, special special to my heart is that maybe a slightly exa- slight exaggeration, but it's one that I've always really liked. And, you know, I remember a few episodes ago, we talked about favorite films and you mentioned that you would often give the same three films as your answer. And that's the sort of the three that you've given for years and years. And this is probably one that for quite a long time, when someone asked me what my favorite films were, this would be in the mix. But I probably haven't watched it for I don't know, maybe even like 10 years now. So yeah, so it came out in 2004, written, directed and starring Zach Braff. I really liked it when it came out, um, but I suppose I was probably predisposed to like it because I was such a huge fan of Scrubs and obviously Scrubs was kind of his vehicle. Uh, So I always liked him. Um, I was really interested in what he did and I just, I really liked this film when it came out in 2004. So yeah, um, also starring Natalie Portman, Peter Skarsgård, and yeah, and I think uh, it, it it did really well at, at Sundance Film Festival. That was where it first kind of was released um, and had a really good reception from audiences. Uh, I believe it won a Grammy for Best Soundtrack, which is, I, I didn't even know that was a, a thing, but it did. So yeah, so obviously watched it for the first time in probably 10 years in preparation for this chat. And yeah, I, I still really like it. I've got to be honest. I still, I, I expected to feel a bit differently about it now that I'm a bit older, because I know this is sort of a film aimed at you know, 20 somethings or however you want to, you know, whatever you want to say, but I, I still really like this film. So what what about you? What did you think when you've, well, what did you think when you first watched it and what do you think about it now? Yeah. So I remember um, back in the day, you actually putting me onto this film because you, you absolutely loved it. I, I liked it at that time. I thought it was good. Wasn't anything um, that, that bowled me over. It wasn't, it didn't change my life or anything, but it's interesting watching it now as a 30-something-year-old, I feel like it connects with me much more 
primarily because of the the main message which we'll we'll speak about today, but also um their relationship together, the um the kind of chemistry that Zep Braff and Natalie Portman have together. It still still hits hits right. Um, it still feels right with them, um, which is is a really hard thing to do. I think like to have that on screen chemistry, and it's it's something that I was thinking about um, when we were doing the preparation for this episode. I was I was watching some interviews with with Zach Braff, and he was uh, talking about how he came to get Natalie Portman to do this film because this was his first. It was his directing debut. Um, so he directed this and he, he wrote this and he stars in this. And he he was asked by the producer of the film, who would he like to play Sam? And he said, ah, oh, you know, someone like Natalie Portman. You know, not thinking at all that he would ever get Natalie Portman. And amazingly, she signed on. And it is amazing because I think the, the budget that they ended up making the film for was something like point seven two point something million um dollars and th- th- they they put it together in, in something stupid like th- 30 days or something right um that that was um the way of putting this all together getting it under the budget because apparently the the main fi- financier of the film said hey if you're able to get it under three mil i'll pay for it all and you can kind of do what you want so they did that and they got natalie portman which was probably the biggest coup of the whole film, I think, because she really, for me, she really makes the film. I agree. I think she's, I think she's absolutely brilliant in this film. She just perfectly portrays that character in the film, and I, I think, yeah, it's, um, it's interesting you say about the, um, the financing of the film because obviously I remember reading plenty of stuff about it, and, uh, and obviously it was a huge success when it came out. So this guy who took a risk on, because um, I believe you know Zach Braff had sort of shopped it around to all the major studios and basically just got turned down by everyone. And they all said, no, there's no way this is going to make money. There's, there's no way that this can be a success. But when this one guy stepped up and said, you know, I will finance it for you. I think it, it ended up being nominated for the grand jury prize at Sundance, which it didn't win. It, it was pipped by a film called Primer, which is, if you haven't watched it, it's awesome. You've got to go and check it out. It's a time travel movie. But it ended up making something like 38 and a half million at box office, which for a film that costs you know, less than $3 million is a huge success. So I think it obviously, at the time, he clearly hit on something which connected with his audience. Obviously, he had he probably had quite a big audience from his, from his time in Scrubs. Obviously, this was probably made when Scrubs was still in its infancy, but, but been going long enough to have developed a good fan base. So yeah, it's pretty amazing that they managed to get this made and yeah, you know, got a huge star like Natalie Portman, who, you know, granted this was, you know, this was made, what, uh, 17 years ago now so she probably wasn't the star she is now but she was still very well known at that point she'd done some great stuff so it's she was very big yeah it's pretty it's pretty amazing they managed to get her she was um she was actually like told oh, you probably don't want to do this but <laughs> and um it landed on her lap and um she thought the character was really interesting and a character she could really explore and, and do something cool with and what a job she did do now I was thinking about this, and um, I know you're you're a bit of a, a filmmaker um, back in your early twenties, and um, <laughs> <laughs> that's a bit of a stretch, I've got to say. But I was thinking, you know, if if you wrote a film, you were directing it, you're writing a character, 
and you knew you were going to be starring in it as a lead role, who would you choose as your romantic partner? Like if, if, if um, I guess you would be Andrew in this, who would be your Sam? If you could pick any actress, past or present, dead or alive. <laughs> See, that's not a tough question because obviously like, if, if you're writing a particular role, depending on how that character turns out, you probably feel something different. But let's say that this is just a pure question about who I'd want to star opposite and who I'd want to kiss, right? So it's not when... It, it's the second one, Nick. Yeah. It's the second one. And, and, and one thing I, I will um, um, call out is, I don't know if you, you notice this, but when Zach Braff kisses um, Natalie for the first time while, when they're on top of the, um, the crane... I wouldn't want to kiss Zach Braff. It looks like a terrible kiss. <laughs> Re rewatch it. Yeah, it doesn't. It's not the best on-screen kiss, is it? It's awful. I, I I'd be nervous kissing Natalie Portman as well, but I think I could have done a better job, Natalie. If you're if you're listening, Do you know, I I did notice actually when I when I watched it the other day, I did think that's a pretty that's a pretty bad on-screen kiss, isn't it? So yeah, but yeah, who who wouldn't be nervous kissing Natalie Portman? You know, um, so if it was me. I would, for, for a couple of reasons, I would choose Emily Blunt. Okay. Because A, she is she's just beautiful. She's a stunning woman. But second, she's also an incredible actress. She's probably one of my favourite actresses out there. So she would she would absolutely be my, my first choice. Uh, she's, she's great. I love her. Okay, I'll, I'll talk to her agent. Start writing the film. I'm, I'm going to throw the question back to you now. I, I'm, I'm interested. Who would you choose? Uh, it's, it's probably not the most original answer, but probably Rachel McAdams. Oh yeah, no, good choice, good choice. It's a um, you know, girl next door. Well, girl ne- next door that's just insanely beautiful. But you know, she's got that that charm to her, hasn't she? And again, great actress, really good actress. Yeah, I mean, I don't care. I'm just going to be kissing her. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you do, make sure you prepare yourself and do a better job than the kissing scene in, in Garden State. So, so in terms of what we're talking about for the film. Well, obviously, we take lessons out of these films. But the way that I wanted to talk about this film is it's not kind of as set in stone as some of the other ones. But basically, the way I've kind of articulated it is how Garden State teaches us that it's okay not to know your path, if that makes sense. Now, the film is clearly about other things as well. And I think we'll go on to talk about that. But I suppose there's just a few things in it that, you know, lead me to read the film in that particular way, uh, which will explain as we go through. So does that kind of make sense to you? And do you kind of uh, do you feel similar about it or, or have you got like a different reading i maybe got a slightly different reading i, I do see how um what you mean and I, I know a lot of people have read it this way so um i'm not saying that you're wrong because ultimately like we read the films the way we want to read them based on the experiences that we've had in life so it'd be good if you you work your through your thinking on this and i can add to it that's yeah that sounds like a good idea so i think ultimately the film a lot of the in large part, it's kind of about dealing with depression and grief and kind of acceptance and self-forgiveness. Because I think, you know, Andrew Largeman, who's the main character, Zach Braff's character, he kind of, ultimately, he's like a bystander in his own life in this film. That, that you know, that's that's summed up by, by the scene when he's talking to his father and he just says, I felt so fucking numb to everything I've experienced in my life. The, there's, there's that great scene at the beginning of the film. I think it's the opening scene where he's having a dream of him in the um, aircraft and all the rest of the the passengers are going crazy because um, the plane is obviously going down. You know, the um, little ga- um, air masks are falling from the ceiling 
And he's just sat there, dead to it all. The one thing he does do is he turns a little um, air nozzle on and directs it towards his face. And yeah, I mean, this is clearly a man who's like living in a world where he doesn't feel anything or, or care about anything. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, because of that, because he's kind of numb and just kind of floating through life, we're almost sort of party to a journey that he goes on in order to sort of like wake up. And I think, you know, the characters play important roles in that. But for me personally, I connected with the film in a slightly different way because, I mean, fortunately for me, I didn't go through my, I don't know, late teens, early 20s feeling like numb. I didn't have that kind of distance between myself and everything that was going on. So I didn't quite, it didn't speak to me in that way. I I understood it. You know, I can understand if people go through feeling that way. And part of the reason, obviously, is because as a character, he's been medicated since he was a young child so he obviously is just in this kind of drug-induced numbness that he he's kind of floating through life but I didn't have that so for me it was about I did I just connected with the fact that sometimes things happen that take you somewhere that you didn't necessarily expect to go and that's a good thing because that can open up doors that you didn't even realize were there so that's kind of how I connected with the film in a way so I, I, I completely get what it's about but because that didn't relate to that directly in terms of my own experience, I took something different out of it. And I think you're right, you know, there's there's lots of little details that that really sum up that feeling of feeling numb. You know, like obviously when he wakes up from the dream where he's in a completely white room, laying under a white sheet that's completely unwrinkled. He's all all that's there is this answer phone message. Yeah, then you've got things like after he has that phone call from his father. And the next thing, he's kind of driving off to his his job as a as a waiter in a Vietnamese restaurant. And he pulls up at work, and he's kind of got the nozzle for the petrol pump still stuck in his car. That's kind of a just nice little visual cue, just to say he's just not even realised what he's doing or what's going on around him. He's just kind of like, you know, just floating along on this in this existence where he doesn't really feel anything that's happening or know what's going on. So yeah, so it's um that that's kind of how I related to it in a slightly different way to how he experiences things because I didn't I said that didn't really speak to me directly because he he is living this life where he doesn't feel anything right and this all stems from a a moment in his life which he goes into where at 11 years old or around around that time for for a reason why he doesn't know he pushes his mother in, in some kind of rage or something and they'd they'd had a dishwasher and it had a faulty latch so she falls backwards trips over the um, dishwasher and gets into an accident which makes her um, paralyzed and two things happen there one one of the things obviously he gets put on um, a massive amount of medication and by by his father and the second thing is he starts living, I guess, with this event that that kind of defined him all the way from 11 years um, on through his life. I mean, there's got to be some guilt that's kind of associated with that. That's kind of accented by the fact that he runs off to LA. As soon as he can, he he runs off to LA and um, tries to be an actor. And it's it's funny, like a a lot of people say that actors or actresses like they feel like they're able to deal with life most whilst acting because they're able to play a different part and there's there's that moment um where where he he is in um that that white room 
you know, he wakes up in that white room. Like, what does that symbolize? Someone lacking any kind of identity at all. So, so yeah, all these things kind of make me think that he's like, he's grown up without any identity, grown up without um, kind of moving on from this event and, and not allowed himself to, to really be himself. I guess this is, um, we're going to talk a little bit across purposes here because you obviously have your reading of the film and I have um, my reading of the film. So there's just a, just a few th- thoughts there and we'll get into more what I thought about, about the film a little bit later. What other moments in the in the film do you think like accents the um, idea of not knowing what you're doing and that being okay? I think you know there's 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 various little bits and bobs throughout the film, but I think um, I think ultimately when he meets those when he goes home back to New Jersey and starts meeting these other characters, um, you know there's there's this I think there's a really great scene with a, a doctor who's played oh, I forget the guy's name actually I should I should know this shouldn't I. Um, but the doc, the doctor, he goes to see about the little headaches he's having. His father refers him, and he goes and has this little conversation and says, like, you know, says he's having these little tiny like headaches that are like a flash of light and then they're gone. And the doctor says, with all the medication you're on, I'm surprised you can even hear me. Um, and he has this, he has this sort of, he says to him, your first thing, your father shouldn't be your psychiatrist. He knows better. Um, and I think that's sort of like because you know it comes back to the point where it come later on where he says his his father's so worried about him being happy and feeling you know feeling good when actually all that he's done is sent him on this path to feel nothing so they had this this doctor that sort of like gives him this little advice to set uh, to start him off um but it's really the journey that he goes on through meeting samantha and he kind of develops this relationship with her and like you said she's kind of this well ultimately right all the characters in the film are there to serve a purpose they are there to serve a purpose in helping andrew wake up and i think that is something that we you could see you could say therefore from a critical point of view that the characters are a bit too you know a bit one dimensional they're not really fully fleshed out and they're just there to serve a purpose for the main character but i think that's okay in this instance because i think we all have those people in our lives at some point where whether it be people you work with people you happen to meet through whatever circumstances but at various times in your life you have some of these people that pop up and they just help you navigate whichever situation you're in at the time and then they might disappear again yeah, I, I think to strengthen your point, you do have a lot of these characters who seem to have their life together or seem to be heading in a certain direction, but quite frankly, are ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, you you can't say, in, t- in terms of the characters in this film, how many characters would you say have got their shit together? Like, honestly, that you would kind of ask them for advice about anything in life. You've got the, um, the policeman who decides um, his friend is a policeman. Why, why did he want to become a policeman? Oh, like, I get to carry a gun. And there's nothing better to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and there's nothing better to do. So you've got someone who's like got a profession there, but he's doing it for like <laughs> very superficial reasons, right? You've got the, the guy who's um, a millionaire. He succeeded, Nick. He's a millionaire. He's uh, invented this um, soundless um, Velcro. But at the same time, you know, he, he's bored, isn't he? He says, you know, pretty bored, you know, says for how things must be going great. He says, oh, I bought a bunch of stuff in the first month and then basically I'm just bored now. Absolutely. It's just follow these characters that seemingly um, they have their shit together or they believe in what they're doing. But when you dig a little bit deeper, you realise that they're, they're as messed up as everyone else or, you know, 
maybe more messed up than, than Andrew. The, the difference is he kind of understands his situation. He understands that he's not where maybe where he wants to be or he, maybe he understands that he doesn't know where he's going in life. And that's almost like the double standard of life of um, you can. It's funny, like, I mean, from a personal point of view, I remember actually I went downstairs last week and my flatmate, sh- she said to me, fuck, I don't know what I'm doing. And like, it's it's um, it's it's something that I've I've said to myself a million times before. And I'm sure a lot of people will probably re- resonating with this. Um on the podcast um who's listening to the podcast right now is like when you don't know what what you're doing it's like you're unmoored you've you know you're a ship that's just kind of sailing there into the sea not knowing where it's heading similar to the characters in the film in your life you'll see many people who seemingly have their their stuff together but dig a little bit deeper so many people that I've I've spoken to still feel this way it might be that they're doing all the right things in their lives you know they've got the the car the um, family the house or whatever the the tick tick boxes that our society kind of expects but dig a little bit deeper they still don't know what they're doing in life so um yeah it's interesting you 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 mentioned about the characters and and in that that regard yeah well i think also um what you said there about you know these these characters don't really have kind of their, their shit together and there's various different states of, of being that they're in. But I think what's interesting about this particular film is that a lot of the time, if you've got a, a, a character that's going on a journey, let's say, often that character is used as almost a commentary on the world that they're in. But I think this slightly reverses that. And I think actually the film is more of a commentary on how the world sees this particular character and some of these other characters, because you've got this guy who is, um, like you said, he's got seems to have no identity. He he felt he was sent away for this for this event that happened when he was younger. You know, obviously his mother the, the push when he was a child, and she ended up being a paraplegic because she hit her head on the kitchen counter. And you know, he was a kid at the time, and he says, you know, later in the film, he says, "I think someone, I think I was a kid, and someone made a shitty latch, and that determined my whole life." But because he was sent away to boarding school for that reason, he obviously had this guilt, so he kind of tries to, like you said, tries to run away. And perhaps the idea of being an actor is so he can kind of go away and be someone else for a living. And that's kind of defined him because everyone knows him for playing this retarded quarterback in like a made-for-cable TV movie. So he's kind of gone away. But then when he comes back to this, back to his home hometown for the first time, I think it's nine years or something, he's been back. And he meets, comes across all these different characters. And I think almost the film is is almost commentating on this guy and saying, look, you know, he's he's kind of not really doing anything. He's kind of floating through ni- through life. He feels a bit numb. He's not really achieved anything. Um, so it's kind of almost like a bit of a reversal. And I think the other characters have a similar thing because obviously Mark, his, his kind of friend from high school, you know, he's a bit of a stoner. He kind of just smokes weed and kind of floats through life. And he has these various little things he talks about, you know, like collecting Desert Storm cards because that'd be worth something. He knows all these kind of, ske- uh, you know, sketchy people that we go on this journey. But I think... The reason I think this to me speaks about the idea that it's okay not to know where you're going because a lot of those characters don't really know where they're going. There's or certainly we don't know where they're going, but they take him on this journey. And by the time he gets to the end of the journey for this this last day when he's in town and Mark takes him on this, this sort of quest to find this, this piece of jewelry he wanted to return to him before he leaves, at the end of it, 
Mark says, "Do you not? Don't you know what? Want to know what's in the bag?" And he says, I, "At this point, I don't really even care anymore because I think by that point he's kind of spent this day doing all this random stuff. But actually, he's by the end of the by the end of that day is when he's taken the leap. He's he's kissed Sam. He's kind of figured out what he what he feels, and then from there we go on to this uh, the ending of the film. And this for me is why it's a bit on the nose and it's a bit sort of obvious in some ways." But we then have this very last scene when he sort of decides he's going to go back to LA to figure himself out because that's what people should do, right? You should go away. You should figure out who you are, what you want. And that is kind of almost something that I think a lot of people figure out. You should you should know where you are and who you are and what you're doing and what you want. But actually then he comes back and says, that idea about going to figure myself out, the ellipsis as he calls it, that's a stupid idea because this is life. And this is, and, and this, that's all there is. And I think we'll just play that scene now because I think it's, um, that kind of, for me, sums up where the film ends up and why I feel that I do the way about it. It's a bit on the nose, but you'll see what I mean. Um, so we'll just play that scene now and then we'll come back and talk about it. What are you doing? Look, do you remember that idea I had about working stuff out on my own and then finding it once I figured stuff out? The ellipsis? Yeah, the ellipsis. It's dumb. It's dumb. It's an awful idea. And I'm not going to do it, okay? Because like you said, this is it. This is life. And I'm in love with you, Samantha. I think that's the only thing I've ever been really sure of in my entire life. I'm really messed up right now, and I got a whole lot of stuff I got to work out, but I don't want to waste any more of my life without you in it, okay? Yeah. And I think I can do this. I mean, I want to. I mean, we have to, right? Yeah. Right? Yes. <laughs> so what do we do? So we've just heard that last kind of conversation between Andrew and Sam where they decide he's going to stay, he's going to see what happens and because he doesn't want to waste any more of his life with her in it. And it's the way that the song fades up and the lyrics of that particular song. So a song called Let Go by Fru Fru and the lyrics are a bit on the nose, but this is where it leaves it. So let's go, let's go, jump in. Well, what are you waiting for? It's all right because there's beauty in the breakdown. So it's kind of saying like, just let go and jump into whatever happens because whatever happens, it'll be okay. And I think that's why I kind of end up reading that it's okay not to know what your path is because he's decided he he was going to go and figure himself out and see what he, you know, see where he is, who he is, what he wants. But actually you don't always need to know because actually if you just go with wherever life takes you, you can figure out on the way. And if you can figure it out on the way, it's still all going to be okay. So that's where I end up with the film, just because of the place I, I think the place, like I say, that I come from having watched it. So being lucky enough not to have any major traumatic event in life that has forced me to feel numb or like I don't have an identity, because I don't relate to that. But, but I do totally relate to this idea of just sometimes allowing yourself to do something that you didn't necessarily expect to do or do something that's not what other people expect you to do or what society or whoever expects you to do but just doing something that feels right in the moment and actually seeing where that takes you and because of that 
I've ended up with some amazing experiences and, and I've ended up in a place that I, 10 years ago, I never would have expected to be, but I couldn't imagine being anywhere else now, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think this this idea of letting go, it's kind of echoed throughout the film. Because obviously he's he's taken on on this like treasure quest where his friend Marks like, takes him on this like weird adventure to eventually reunite him with a necklace um, from his mother and the only thing he can do there is let go he's not in control of um, where they're going and or what they're doing he just kind of has to surrender to it i think as well this um what what his father ends up doing to him is he tries to manage this young boy so he, he obviously does this crazy thing when he's a 11 year old boy pushes his mother creates a this traumatic event for the whole family and instead of just kind of putting it down to an accident his father tries to actively manage the situation um, which involves pumping drugs into this this kid so so it is echoed um, throughout there this this idea of action like you need to um, do something what can happen if you just don't do anything now from a personal point of view i'll tell tell a personal um story so when i was um traveling i kind of like started to feel really bad it was the first time i guess i i really felt depressed and i was kind of really worried about myself and this kind of went on for like years and years like in and out of this like state of feeling depressed and in these moments you just feel nothing like you can't feel any kind of good and it's it's really hard because you want to do the things that make you feel good so you you go to the tried and tested and things you start reading like um you know how to put your life together and you try to i guess medicate yourself um through action you start think of you thinking of yourself uh, as some someone who's like depressed and um, someone who's kind of broken. And um, I started talking to to a friend of mine, and he suggested he said, "Have you ever tried uh, magic mushrooms?" And I was like, "What do you mean?" Apparently, magic mushrooms have this thing called psilocybin in them, and when you take it. It basically opens like a lot of the, the pathways in the brain. Um, so instead of being like a, a dumbing down of, of your brain, like say drinking alcohol might be or um, doing weed would be. If you if you see like a brain on an MRI on magic mushrooms or psilocybin, it just lights up like all the pathways to the brain. They, they've actually used this to like um, cure depression. I know. So I went to, to a place called Pai, which is in, in Thailand, northern Thailand. And there it's a bit of a hippie community. And um, I know you could get magic mushrooms there. So I went along to this um, this place, like um, got some directions, went and said, hey, can I can I have a, a shake? Because they do them in, in shakes. So this, um, this guy yeah, goes, yeah, yeah. I said is it right if I get two? And he goes, no, no, you can just get one. <laughs> it's like, because I, I, like, I wanted like an experience because they, they call it like a, a hero's journey. Like when you, um, when you take a lot, it kind of really, you can have like visions and stuff and these crazy kind of things. And I was at the point where I was just like, I need to do something about this. Like I was going to like 
a little bit desperate to do something about this. And so I said, all right, well, can I take one and take it away with me? Um, and he goes, no, no, you need to drink it here because we, know, we don't want the police to stop you on the, on the way through. And like the Thai police and drugs, they, they don't mix. Like it's like one of the worst things you can do is do drugs in Thailand. And so, so he said, no, no, no drink, drink it here. So I was like, okay. So I hadn't ate anything all day. Like um, I was told, don't eat, eat, eat anything. Drank the whole thing, and then ran to my um, scooter. <laughs> By the way, don't do this at home, kids. Ran to my scooter, got onto my scooter, scooted all the way to my um, bamboo hut. Yeah, my bamboo hut <laughs> in Pai. Got in there, and uh, I was so scared that I was going to start like tripping on this this bike. But anyway, thirty minutes later, <laughs> started the all feel like I was on something and anyway so whilst I was um on the, these magic mushrooms I was like I went to the toilet because it, it's, it's quite a long time you maybe uh, for like four hours or something and I'm looking at this wall and it's like a concrete wall it's got like um you know like a concrete wall has like cracks in it and it's like um of how it's like set and all, all like the different colors and stuff I was looking at it and it looked like it was swirling. If you got coffee and um, put milk in it, you know, that, that cloudy kind of, um, like, yeah. So, and I was like, fuck, that's so cool, man. So I was like, there's loads of stuff in this this bamboo hut that I could look at. <laughs> it's going to be, like, really cool to look at. Wasn't exactly the hero's journey I expected, but this is what it gave me. <laughs> so... I went in there and I was looking at the ceiling. It had like a crazy crisscross p- p- um, pattern. Nothing. Looked down um, towards uh, the wall there and it had like, um, you know, these kind of really distinct lines. Looked at it. Nothing. And I was like, fuck. That's it. All this time in life, like I'm trying to like make myself better by doing things. But it was the m- one moment where I wasn't trying to do anything. I just let life do its do. (laughs) And that's where I I saw the swirling patterns. And I I started thinking about, well, shit, maybe that is life. Maybe um, that's just what you've got to do, you know, as the song says, like, let go. And it's echoed in this this adventure. Um, You know, if Mark says, hey, we're going to go on this adventure and I'm going to get your um, necklace back, then Andrew doesn't have the same experience. It's the adventure they go on, the characters that they meet, the the strange conversations that they have, how how that brings them closer as um, the three characters, Mark, Sam, and Andrew. There's lots of things he cannot um, plan. Like Andrew cannot com- plan to, to have this experience, this adventure. But it happens in the same way that, you know, at the end of the, the film, he, he says, he says, um, and I think we can do this. I mean, I want to. I have to, right? And Samantha's like, yes, yeah, yeah, yes. Um, and he says, so what do we do? What do we do? And then it comes into let go, let go. And and maybe life's that simple about letting go a little bit and just experiencing. Well, also, you know, on, on that day when they're running around trying to find all these weird and wonderful people in order to track this necklace down, the last person they meet is Albert, who's in the boat. And what does 
what does Andrew say to him when they leave? Hey, Albert, good luck exploring the infinite abyss. And that's in a very literal term because Albert's boat is on the edge of this huge natural phenomenon that he believes is an infinite abyss. And then he says back to Andrew, you too. And obviously, that you know, again, it's a little bit obvious, a little bit on the nose, but obviously Andrew's infinite abyss is his life and it's just about exploring it and, you know, seeing what you can find. So, yeah, so I think that though all of these little things are, like I said, through my own experiences, that's how I take out that sometimes you should just just let life happen and sometimes things can happen that you didn't expect to happen but actually the thing they are the things that should absolutely happen to you because that's that's where that's where you belong yeah absolutely but by the way um just just want to shoehorn this into the conversation thought it might be a little um a little bit of fun but um did you know the film was originally going to be called Large's Ark yes i did actually yeah yeah I remember reading that a little while ago. It's it's an interesting little play on words. Uh, maybe the the fact that they had this boat that looks a bit like an ark on the side of the, the abyss, but also large being the the main character and his character arc. Yes, yeah, so, so apparently he changed changed the the name of it after realizing people didn't know what he was saying. <laughs> large ark, large ark. Um, hey, um, Nick, got a bit of a, a quiz for you. Oh, I love a quiz. Go on. Let's 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 quiz it up. Thought this might be a bit of fun and viewers at home could play along. So if you don't if if you want to play along, just like pause it after I've I've asked you the, the question and answer it yourself in your own time. So I'm gonna give you some titles of films and I want you to guess what is the actual film film name. So th- these are the, the film names they were going to be called before they got their actual names. Do you understand? Yeah, I, I understand. And I'm probably going to be rubbish at this, but we'll give it a go. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so number one is a film called Star Beast. What do you think that film might be? Star Beast? Ah, that could be loads of things, couldn't it? Um, I don't know. Uh, this, we've got to try and be careful not to, not to do the... Uh, the the crime of dead air haven't we so i'm going to kind of try and keep talking um star beast honestly i don't know you're going to put me out of misery for that one alien i was going to guess that but i didn't think it i didn't think it fit but that's that's yeah it had to be something based in space didn't it love that star beast (laughs) star i think i think alien is is slightly better slightly given it's like essentially given it's it's like a, a slasher in space Alien sounds a lot more ominous than Star Beast. And iconic as well. Alien. So the next film is 3000. 3000. Uh, I don't know. Um, I'll give you a little, I'll give you a clue. Go on. Stars Julia Roberts. Stars Julia Roberts. Oh, is that, is that Aaron Brockovich? It's not, no. It's um, Pretty Woman. Pretty Woman. 3000. I wonder where that came from. So it's a reference to how much Vivian charges Edward for a week with her. Ah, I see. Okay. $3,000. What do you prefer? 3000 or Pretty Woman? <laughs> I think Pretty Woman works. Okay, so this next one, I reckon you might know because it's um, a fairly famous film. And it's, I've, I've seen this embedded around a little bit as well. It's um, Spaceman from Pluto. Spaceman from Pluto. Oh, I don't think I've seen that around before. Um Mm, no, I'm not sure. Back to the Future. 
Do you know I've I've never I've never heard that spaceman from Pluto. I've never heard is is that is that a reference? Is there is there a quote in the film where he's called where someone thinks he's out or something? I think there is, yeah. But apparently, the executive Sidney Scheinberg suggested that changing it to spaceman from Pluto, claiming that including the word future in the name doomed a movie success. So, yeah, the, the director. I, th- I think um, Steven Spielberg just like ignored him. <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah yeah Sydney. so uh, well I, I have to say I think Back to the Future is such a great title I'm so glad they kept it so good yeah the next one is a film that is one of your favourite films um, and one of my favourite films um, it was going to be called Black Mask hmm I don't know um, is that Gladiator it's not no it's Pulp Fiction okay so apparently apparently it was um going to be called Black Mask after the magazine that inspired it the actual pulp fiction um that that inspired the the film. Okay. I again I think I'm glad, I'm glad pulp fiction was the uh, the finished title cuz I think it's a good I think it's a great title. See that it's funny isn't it cuz I think um I've I've read before about uh, I've actually done a quiz like this for other people where somewhere I used to work but it was all based on Pixar films and obviously the Pixar films the working titles can be quite um, quite literal but yeah I've, I've not I do you know I've not heard any of those potential titles before that's that's really I love I love stuff like that I think it's so interesting to know where uh, you know what a film may have been called because once you've once you've seen a film as something it's really hard to imagine it being called something else isn't it 100% yeah yeah, so just a bit of fun there for you. And um I told you I'd be rubbish. No, come on, Nick. You did your best. <laughs> <laughs> Star beast. Okay, so um I, I thought if it's okay, I'd I'd maybe turn and and talk about what I thought of the film and what potentially um I took took away from it. Please do, please do. So for me, Sam Sam is such a, a amazing character and so important to this whole thing that I, I believe that like this f- film kind of teaches us like the importance of meeting someone who gives us uh, an idea of self and belonging. Yeah, we we've obviously touched uh, upon the fact that Andrew's going through this world feeling uncomfortable, lost, and unconnected. You know, he's he's working in a um, as a an actor in inverted commas. And working in a contemporary um, Vietnamese restaurant for the the rich and famous of LA, he's he's standing as a stranger in his own mother's funeral. His his connection with his father is is, is strained, accented by like these pregnant pauses whenever they speak to each other. And there's that great scene when he's in the party and the party's all going on. Uh, around him and he's just sitting there on the couch he's he's completely lost and disconnected from the world the moment where this starts to to change is twofold one he stops taking the pills that his his father put him on but two um there's that moment where he meets sam she obviously connects with him and and says hey like listen to this song and and Zach Braff actually um, comments on this this moment in in an interview, and he says he's referencing that line. You've got to hear this. One song, it'll change your life, I swear. Oh, I'm sorry. You have to. Uh, I'm gonna fill out your forms. Conundrum. 
think you could uh, maybe listen yeah, while I you could. Yeah. Okay. And she goes on to change his life. So it's it's clear from the director, you know, the importance of Sam. And, and, and you've got to ask yourself, like, why is Sam so special? Why does he stand out against the myriad of characters that we, we meet? And I, I come down back to this this point that she she is authentic within herself. She says it's it's interesting uh, to talk about authenticity because she she's always lying, right? That's one of her things. She she, she originally lies about her epilepsy. The reason why she she lies about it is because she doesn't want it to define her as a person. Much much as Andrew is defined by this moment where his um, mother obviously gets into this accident. You know, I said said like before, I can't imagine living life um, with that guilt. I feel like his father kind of represents this guilt as well. He's like this character that appears in awkward moments in the film and has these kind of strange conversations with him, almost like it's his conscience speaking to him. Andrew's like constantly weighed down by this this guilt uh, of of this event and almost like defining himself as as this event. Otherwise, why would he continue to take this medication? You know, he's he's an adult man. Surely he he would know that he's feeling dull. He's feeling um, disconnected, but he's he's in this voluntary prison that he has put himself in. Sure, surely the only thing that would put him in there is the guilt that he caused this terrible event, and that is his sentence to be medicated um, um, by drugs. But Sam really opens up his world and um, allows him to to break out of the shell there's a really nice moment and i think it'd be nice to, to play that now just because it's a nice little moment um of when um she talks about being authentic and um being original i forget i just said that i'm that's dumb and you know what i do when i feel completely unoriginal I make a noise or I do something that no one has ever done before and then I can feel unique again, even if it's only for like a second. So no one's ever done that? No, not in this spot, no. You just witnessed a completely original moment in human history. It's refreshing, you should try it. Oh, no, no, thanks. No, come on. No, I, you know what, I think that was good enough for the both of us. Come on, what are you, shy? This is your one opportunity to do something that no one has ever done before and that no one will copy again throughout human existence. And, and if nothing else, you'll be remembered as, as the one guy who ever did this. This one thing. How's that? Oh, I've done that one before. <laughs> so, uh... I gotta go bury this hamster before the dogs eat him. Wanna help? Hmm? So yeah, there's that nice little moment um, with her there. Um, and it's, it's, it's interesting. This is just, um, 
the cracks are show, starting to show in this scene of of him being able to um, be himself a little bit more. Um, although that's a little small movement with his um, finger and a little small no- noise, he's he's starting to um, become more and more himself. He's and he's he's only doing that almost through Sam's kind of guidance, um, seeing how she lives her life. But we get to that scene where they all shout, shout into the abyss. So if you think about that, that small authentic um, sound that he makes to then eventually him shouting into the abyss that was not part of a script he 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 was going along on this adventure with his friends they were walking off he's the one who gets up on the top of this crane and shouts off into the abyss and then eventually he kisses sam i feel like this is obviously um, an important moment in his life where he's starting to walk his own path and it's it's accented by a few of um few lines where he, he says you know you changed my life and I've only known you for four days. Um, he also says um, safe safe. I I feel um, when I'm with you I feel so safe like I'm home, and I I feel like we can't play down the um insignificance of Sam or indeed the insignificance of meeting anyone in our lives um like Sam. When, when you meet someone like Sam, who kind of accepts you for, for being you, you don't have to put, put on any bravado or, um, you know, be anything other than, than who you are. She says at the end, she wants him to stay. And he's saying, no, no, I need to go off and like, I, I messed up. I need to sort out my life and, and do these things. But she's kind of like that acceptance. So it's like, no, no, stay. I'm with you. This is special, and you shouldn't run away from it. And it's, I guess, the one time because he's been running away from stuff all of his life with his father and all these problems at home. And um, he eventually gets to a point where he's like, "Nah, I don't know what I'm doing." Just like you say, I don't know what I'm doing. But and he does. He, at the end, he says that. So what are we going to do? What we're we going to do? He doesn't know what they're going to do. The most important thing is that they're together and that he feels. It feels right again, and I think that's really special. I I agree with you there. I think um, those people that we meet are so significant, and I can I can relate to that in a sense because, again, you know, to talk about my own life, I have I found my Sam, if you like, in Beck. Me? So- oh, not me. Not me. <laughs> Bit awkward. <laughs> Live on there. Ob- obviously, you as well. <laughs> Feels forced now, Nick. And, uh, well, to be fair, you left me. You went off to New Zealand. Um, so, you know. Yeah, I ran. Great job, Sam. <laughs> um, but at the time in at the time of my life, I was, um, I was just coming out of a really bad relationship where I had genuinely felt as though I, I'd lost myself. And you, I'm sure everyone's had a relationship where you, you don't realise where things have got to until you're kind of out of it. And I I didn't really realize it wasn't, you know, it was, I think it was two and a half years. So it wasn't a sig- hugely significant period of time in the, in, in the grand scheme of life, but it was, it was long enough for me to really sort of lose myself. And I'd lost touch with people that had been su- really important to me growing up, my closest friends. And I had just, but I didn't realize the point, the point I'd got to, because it was just sort of like, you got to this age when, you have this, you know, you start like a serious relationship and kind of you think that's where life goes. But actually, I I was just kind of coming out of this 
relationship it was all falling apart and I was you know you had those moments where you just think what am I doing and who have I become and that was actually at the point where I met Beck for the first time through you know through complete happenstance she started at work and I happened to be one of the first people who met who she met with at work and we ended up just talking um, at lunchtime one day and you know we instantly connected um, <laughs> over films weirdly we started talking about films because she's a huge film fan herself as well she studied film at uni along with English um, but it was it very quickly became obvious that she you know she changed my life you know we we've been together ever since and through you know through my relationship with Beck and she like I think I said before on a, on a previous podcast she absolutely makes me a better a better version of myself and because of her we as a, as a couple we've done things that we never thought we would have you know we wouldn't have expected to do so just little things like you know to go back to what I said earlier about ending up doing something you never expected to do or never necessarily thought you would do um, but you end up it ends up being exactly the right thing so we were you know I think a lot of people do end up living around where they grew up or not too far away and that's and that's great and and but then obviously a lot of people end up living somewhere completely different to where they grew up but we at the time when we made a big decision we were sort of we we've had jobs for a couple of years well for a few years we changed jobs because they were, we were in a bad situation and started something different but then all of a sudden after maybe a couple of years we suddenly realized what what are we doing here like we're only living in the place we were living and doing the jobs that we were doing because it was kind of convenient and it was the same it was like the safe thing to do so we just decided let's move and there was a couple of options and we ended up having a, a weekend visit down to Devon where we live now and I'd never been to Exeter before but I just loved the place it was great and without having jobs without having friends down here without having any connections down here we just decided to move here because it was just felt like the right thing to do and I have to say I couldn't imagine being anywhere else now. This is home to me. And I never would have done that. I I never would have done that if it wasn't for Beck because we kind of brought that out of each other, this idea that, do you know what? Let's just, let's make a decision that feels right for us and see if it works out. And if it doesn't work out, that's fine. But if you don't try, you'll never know. So I think, yeah, I think Sam is this representation of someone in Andrew's life who just kind of gives him that push to do something that he maybe wouldn't have done before and or felt uncomfortable doing before but it's something he needs to do so yeah I feel very very fortunate that I have that you know a long time ago now I met I met my Sam and she's still my Sam she's she's my she's my wife she is she's my best friend and she's she's made my life better for being in it so I, I completely understand this idea that these people those having those people around you is is so important and so crucial to kind of figuring out who you are and going on this journey with you to see where life takes you. So yeah, I, I completely, I completely um, agree with you on that as well. Yeah. And I, th- I think what you're saying there is kind of reflected in some of the things that um, Albert says, because he, he speaks about his, his like his, that, that massive fault that's kind of running through um, them not really knowing what it is. Um, not really knowing kind of like why they're there Um and it being quite a strange thing that they've done, um, him and his wife. But as long as he's got his wife and he's got the the baby that's, because um, I think his wife's pregnant, that's all that matters. And it seems like, like a little bit twee. And, and but that he, 
out of the whole film, I think like Albert is is probably the probably the the person who makes the most sense out of any character. Yeah, I think I think what you say there about it being a little bit twee is kind of that that was a lot of the criticism of the film, I think, because I think one of the things I've realized well I've I've kind of noticed over time is that when this film came out, it was really, really well received. It obviously did well at the festivals, it had a good audience, and I think it was reasonably well critically received as well. Obviously, not everyone loves it, but I think it was it was pretty well received by a lot of people. But it seems to be targeted for a lot of a lot of criticism now because a lot of people who seem to like it when it came out say look back at it now and think, oh, this was just a film about some like whiny man who was like sleepwalking through life, and it's just you know almost like a bit of a um, feeling sorry for yourself kind of film. And it and it did, and people read it very differently now. So it was, um, yeah, it's. Uh, it's kind of an interesting one to watch now, but I think you're right. I think it's, there are still things in it which make a lot of sense, even if at the time there was these kind of slightly more superficial characters that are there to serve serve the purposes for this one whingy man that's at the centre of it. But I think Albert, Albert still... Sorry, I don't think he's whingy at all. Sorry, I think Andrew's a, a very well-written character, if anything, or well-acted, well because he doesn't seem to ask for anything in life. You know, a, a whiny person who, like, seems to be someone who he is in a bad situation and um, expects the world to kind of give him something or like revolve around him. He he's not like that at all. If anything, he's the opposite. He doesn't expect anything from his life, and then this amazing person comes into his life and makes him feel like he deserves something. Yeah, you know, I agree with you on that because I, I, I don't, I certainly don't see him as like a whingy character. I think that because I think for me he's more like I said earlier, like a bystander in his own life. He's just life's just happening around him. But I think some of the criticisms that I've read, because uh, I just just in preparation for this, I kind of read some reviews and stuff to, just to see how people feel about the film now. And a lot of people refer to him as this kind of like whingy twenty something who's just like meandering around through life. And I, but I, I don't get that from it. I, I still see him as this kind of numb bystander who is who's not really taking part in his own life and it takes it takes these people and these events to really wake him up and get him to you know step forward and become part of his own life yeah 100 percent. yeah so um i guess um that comes to the end of the the podcast um if, if, unless you've got any other um moments you'd like to talk about or any other thoughts um, nothing specific in other moments, but I do. I just think it's worth saying at this point, as well as the, the film itself, I think this has got a great soundtrack to the film as well. Um, and I know that there was, again, some criticism about him just picking these like little melancholy songs and stuff, but I think the music works really effectively for the film. Um, so I think hopefully... If people haven't heard it, it might introduce you to some artists you've maybe not heard before, but but might start to like. Um, and I just think it's worth mentioning that the, as I said at the top of the the episode, that this won a, a Grammy for best soundtrack. And like I said, I didn't really know that was a thing at the time, but I think it's worthy of it because I think the music in this works really well. And to get that kind of like melancholy tone about the film, and uh, yeah, just well, just thought I wanted to mention that because I think the soundtrack's really good. Yeah, and a big sh- shout out to the Shins because. Um... I, I think this film put you onto the shins and then you put me on onto the shins and um I've been putting other people onto the shins. <laughs> so um, yeah, if you haven't heard of the shins, they're a, an amazing band and um yeah, go listen to them. Agreed, agreed. I was lucky enough to see them live once actually. Awesome. 
Um, so yeah, I think that about does it, doesn't it? Um, so we've kind of talked about a lot of the film about our own. I think this is one where we've kind of brought our own experience into it a little bit more, haven't it? Which has been quite interesting. So yeah, I'd just say, you know, if you haven't watched the film recently, go and give it another look to see what you think of it now, because it might surprise you if, um, because I think that's what a lot of the criticism now is when people first watched it, when it came out, it, it meant one thing to them. And now it means something different. I happen to go into this expecting it to be quite different um, for me. But I actually have to say, watching it more recently, I still loved it. Um, I still completely fall for Sam's character every time. I really enjoy the film. So yeah, if you haven't seen it for a while, go and give it a look and, uh, and see what you think. Okay, so that, that brings us um, to, to the point where we can talk about our next episode, which is going to be Good Will Hunting. Um, so I'm really, really looking forward to seeing this um, film again because I haven't watched it in ages. Um, so Nick, do you want to tell us what the learning will be? Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. I love this film. I haven't watched it for quite a long time, so I'm looking forward to this one. So this is the next episode will be about how Good Will Hunting teaches us or shows us or reminds us, whichever way you want to refer to it, to make sure you surround yourself with the right people. And that's pretty much it. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a simple lesson, but I think it's going to be a, a really great one to talk about that film specifically because it's got some great characters in there and um, some great stars. Yeah, and also, uh, obviously, it's got um, an incredible performance from the late, great Robin Williams, which is always a joy to watch. So yeah, should be good. Yeah, I love that guy. He's awesome. Okay, so I suppose that about does us for today. So as always, thank you very much for listening. We really appreciate your time. Uh, we'd appreciate it also if you could like rate review subscribe share all that kind of stuff and uh, we look forward to uh, to speaking to you again in the future so thanks for listening and we'll see you next time see you guys bye bye bye